0: The views and opinions expressed on this podcast are solely those of the host and guest. These views and opinions do not necessarily represent those of Memorial Healthcare System or Joe DiMaggio Children's Hospital.
1: Hello everyone, and thank you for joining us on Healthy Parenting, pitched by Joe DiMaggio Children's Hospital. My name is Jason Grant Enriquez, and I'm with my spectacular co-host, Dr. Latanya Benjamin.
0: Thanks, Jason. Hello everyone, and thank you for joining us today. My name is Dr. LaTanya Benjamin, Medical Director of Pediatric Dermatology at Joe DiMaggio's Children's Hospital. We have an important topic to cover today for you. Later on in the show, we'll be talking to Claudia Vincencio and Alberto Ogston, employees of Memorial's Healthcare Systems Mother and Recovery Program about maternal drug addiction we're expecting mothers can get treatment for themselves and their newborn babies. Very important. Yeah, you know, lately there's a lot in the media about uh, opioids and other drugs, um, especially opioids. Their misuse among pregnant women.
1: That is very important. As a father, you know, I'm not privy to what you know hardships mothers go through and what they would will do, drive them to do. Right. It's very interesting, and yet I find myself also puzzled by uh, our other topic. How, uh, (laughs) q tips, -tips. apparently, and the proper use of cotton swabs. Apparently, it's uh, there's a technique not to get yourself heard,
0: so you don't end up in the ER. (laughs) Exactly,
1: it's very interesting. But before we get to that, we're gonna move on to our sponsors
0: patient and family centered care at Joe DiMaggio Children's Hospital. It's the difference you notice, it's what you feel, it's how we care. And it's why we've been recognized as the world's first designated person-centered children's hospital by Plaintree. When it matters most, trust Joe DiMaggio Children's Hospital. Learn more at jdch.com care.
1: Welcome back. Before we get to today's guests, let's bring in one of our producers, the Devonair Bahati, (laughs) with what's making news in the parenting
2: world. Hello. Why are you laughing? I agree. (laughs) This is funny introduction, <laughs> but thank you very much. I appreciate no, that, No, thank dancing. you, Bahadi. How are you both doing today? Great. Awesome, Great. awesome, awesome. So the two coffee chat topics that we're talking about today are cotton swabs sending kids to the ER and misuse of opioids among pregnant women. Um, so cotton swabs, let me ask you both. How do you both clean your ears? Hmm. Be honest. I use a Q-tip for sure.
1: I do. I do as well. Um, I actually was privy to that we shouldn't be either be using them or using them so much. So, uh, you know, I'll admit that, you know, I use them every you know two, three weeks, one time. Okay, okay. Clean it out. I do it fresh. like every day. I'm
0: sorry. <laughs> really? After I come out of the shower. But you wash your hair. Yes. You know, you yes. feel the water. But, but yep. it feels just, so... <laughs> it feels so good. <laughs> oh, okay. It does. Feel That's great. That, <laughs> I was going to say
1: slightly <laughs> uncomfortable, like, like a deep, deep inner ear tissue massage. It but
2: depends how
0: you do it, I guess.
2: Well... <laughs> Um, A new study in the Journal of Pediatrics reported that cotton swabs, like Q-tips, send 34 kids to the ER every single day in the United States.
1: And that's where I gasp.
2: Exactly. That's terrible. But so those are, these are kids, though. Yes. These are children. Not you. No, not okay. me, but,
1: <laughs> but I'm a child at heart, so I need to be also concerned.
2: We all should be very cognizant. Um, since the 1970s, doctors have actually recommended that we not use them, uh, Q-tips or cotton swabs, because you can actually push wax and other debris further into your ear, which is causing injuries, and the cotton can just fall off in your eardrum. So that's why they actually recommend that neither children or adults use cotton swabs.
1: And I find it interesting because I would think that the ma- the major concern would be maybe damaging your ear drum. Or that is the concern. Right, that right. is the concern. Well, I mean, but with with the actual technique of putting the cotton mm-hmm. swab in your ear, mm-hmm. but the fact that pushing more earwax in there also yes. causes issues. And, and, yes. And, and, wow.
0: Well, the medical term cerumen rumen or, <laughs> you know, the wax is actually beneficial. The idea between, behind the earwax is that it will trap dirt, it will kill bacteria and prevent fungus from going growing. And, Um, Like other parts of our body, the ears are actually self-cleaning. And so, you know, this wax, it will naturally drain on its own, especially Mm -hmm. as we sleep at night and turn from side to side, Mm -hmm. and it helps us stay healthy. But I know when I did train in pediatrics in the emergency room, we had to disimpact a lot of impacted um, wax in the ears just to see if they had an ear infection or so forth. So some people actually have increased wax um, production, Mm -hmm. and they may have to clean it. Every now and but then. if
1: our ears are self-cleaning, then the cotton swab industry was created for. Deliciously, like, <laughs> pure I'm, profit. I'm, I'm, I'm seeing there's more to it because if it's self-cleaning, then then why why um, would one want to then uh, use a cotton swab besides? Because it feels good. <laughs> to to everybody else. Yeah.
0: Just ask my daughter. Literally, I've never seen her more quiet after a bath. We have this routine where we clean her ears. And when you go in a circle, she literally, her eyes roll back. And she's in a trance. And I've I've actually had to call people in the room to see. She's fallen asleep on the changing table. Wow. Just having her ears clean. It feels so good to her. It's like the funniest thing (laughs) ever. I think I need to request I'm requesting a (laughs) consultation for technique. (laughs) Stop.
1: Because, honestly, I'm doing it all wrong.
0: (laughs) But <laughs> seriously, back to the point. Um, really, we should monitor the kids because um, just like her, mm-hmm. now I'm witnessing, she'll try and reach for it and try mimic her wanting to do it. And oh. I'm close at, you know, stand by and I watch and I tell her, no, you know, it's not because it's exactly right. Mm-hmm. They don't know the depth. Um, they're young mm-hmm. and they can puncture and damage their um, tympanic membranes or exactly. their drum. So Absolutely. it's very important exactly. business. Exactly. Yeah.
2: exactly. So later in the show, we'll be talking to two employees of Memorial Healthcare System's Mothers in Recovery program. And to, um, as a little primer, according to one study, did you know that a baby is born every hour addicted to opioid drugs in the U.S.? Just opiate, not drugs in Just general. Just opioid. Wow. Ap- mm-hmm. Prescription, opiate drugs. So over the last 10 years, the number of pregnant women using opioids or otherwise known as painkillers has grown significantly. And also during that same period, the number of babies born with what's called neonatal abstinence syndrome or NAS it's when babies experience withdrawal system withdrawal symptoms when they're born. That's also grown, and unfortunately, Florida has seen an uptick in the number of babies born with this syndrome uh, over the last ten years. So it's we a we need huge, to learn a lot about that problem.
1: That, yeah. Now, we're we're, just, we're talking about over the counter medication or actually prescription painkillers. I don't think you could uh, prescribe prescription painkillers uh, for uh, pregnant women. That's my,
0: my understanding.
2: That's a good question. Um, I think. Dr. Benjamin, do you, would you this have is, any insight on that? We'll have
0: to ask this of our guests mm-hmm. um, because they're the ones that are going to see what's really happening of course. Um, on the streets. Mm-hmm. Let us know.
2: Yeah, unfortunately, a lot of pregnant women, according to these studies, are being prescribed uh, prescription medications. And you also should probably be aware that sometimes or oftentimes people aren't prescribed drugs that they're taking. They may be taking drugs that they've gotten from other people. So leftover medications Very from sure. another exactly. time, they may have
0: had a surgery prior exactly. and had residual medicine. Exactly. And the point is, if they are addicted, mm-hmm. they'll, if they're drug seeking, they'll of find course. ways outside of a prescription from a doctor exactly. to, to acquire these medications. Exactly,
2: huge, huge uh, black market for opiate drugs. So I'm um, really, really looking forward to hearing um, what both Claudia and Alberto have to say about that. Absolutely. Thank you both. Thanks Claudia for joining us. It's a
1: pleasure. Thank you for your time.
3: You are listening to Healthy Parenting, pitched by Joe DiMaggio Children's Hospital. To learn more about our hospital, visit jdch.com.
0: Welcome back, and thank you once again for joining us on the Healthy Parenting Podcast. I'd like to welcome today's guests, Claudia and Alberto, of the Mothers in Recovery program. Hi, Claudia. Welcome, welcome. Hi, guys. Hi, guys. So tell us a little bit about your background and how it came to be where you're involved with the recovery of drug and
4: alcohol addictions in mothers and newborns. I'm a Licensed Clinical Supervisor and also a Licensed Marriage and Family Therapist and I've been with Memorial for uh, 13 years and counting and um, so I have experience in mental health and working with substance abuse issues in the community for a long period of time. Fantastic.
1: Excellent, excellent.
3: And uh, I'm probably in the system a little less time, going on about seven years. I am a psychopharmacologist, I'm also a uh, clinical toxicologist. And a lot of my training had to do with uh, substance use and really the therapies that are involved in how to treat these uh, individuals. Um, specifically now we're dealing with mothers and the effects that may happen on the newborn, but uh, that's basically the extent of the background.
1: Interesting, interesting. Um, well, during our coffee chat, we actually had a mini discussion about the growing opioid addiction with uh, pregnant women. And um, in a lot, of, a lot of new stories like that, it's becoming like an epidemic. Are you seeing more are you seeing more mothers needing treatment or prescription drugs, or, or, was it, or is it legal drugs?
3: So uh, it, it, there's definitely a growth uh, in, in the amount of mothers needing assistance. I would say, especially in South Florida and, and in various different pockets of the United States, uh, we're also seeing similar trends. We did see a significant increase in the use of opioids in the early 2000s. Um, and this was initially attributed to prescription habits so this opioid uh, prescription habits led to an increase in patients uh, needing these uh, pain meds and so forth and what we what we've seen especially locally is there has been a reduction in access to a lot of these pain meds which is a good thing but it's also led some of these patients to access other means including heroin so in south florida particularly we've seen a triple almost maybe quadruple increase in the rates of heroin use Um, in patients that were previously on opioids.
0: I did not know that. I
3: did
1: not know that
0: either. So Jason brought up an interesting question prior um, to both of you joining us. Are these mothers becoming addicted because they were prescribed medications prior to their pregnancy and then it goes on into pregnancy or are they receiving prescription medications while they're pregnant?
3: So I would say the majority, the majority of these moms uh, were prior to them becoming pregnant. very few times is it a patient that initiated this habit just because it's they picked up heroin Let's say most of the time is they were prescribed something. Um, there are cases even of some patients who were initially uh, receiving treatment in the ED for example or in hospital and they required an opioid to help treat a pain issue and Then they were continuing on this opioid and then for a, a valid medical reason But then it became an addiction um, and that's what we're dealing with today.
4: Yeah, I think to um, Alberto's point, one of the things that they found when they looked at analysis of patients who are pregnant women on Medicaid, and they looked at some of the prescriptions that they were filling on a national level, and they were being prescribed these um, opioids at high rates. So they might have started on these medications before they were pregnant, and I think that's usually the case, but they were continued by their doctors while they were pregnant on these medications. While they were pregnant, they were mm-hmm. still able to get prescriptions. Mm-hmm. Is
1: thats that... Is that
3: normal I mean if, if I can use that term so that's a it's a good it's a good question and I would say there are nothing is uh, black and white there's always a gray so there there are some in, uh, instances where moms do have significant pain and you need to treat the pain um, so it makes sense um, I would say normal is uh, many of them do not and there, there are ways that we can uh, reduce the demands of the opioid or altogether eliminate it so I would say for a long time, the understanding has been if a mother is um, using an opioid and then they do become pregnant and so forth, the recommendation is to switch them to methadone. And methadone is also an opioid and it's actually been around for over 40 years. And methadone is, is a, the considered the um, gold standard up until uh, what we initiated. And the patient would be on methadone in place of this opioid for the duration of the pregnancy.
4: So, and uh, just to add to that, I think that opioid prescribing practices are changing, and this has only been in the last couple of years. So last year, the Surgeon General uh, Vivek Murthy came out with a a report on the opioid addiction and there were prescribing practices that they were recommending because there's been liberal prescribing of opioids and then now that we're cutting back, like Alberto mentioned, people that now can't get that prescription, so I think doctors maybe to a pregnant woman now will be a lot less likely to prescribe that medication, but if she's already addicted, she may be going to the street and getting medications there, so now you have someone who's maybe using heroin off the street and the way that these women have been treated up to now is to put them on methadone maintenance for long periods of time and we can maintenance throughout their pregnancy and we can talk about what some of the consequences or unintended consequences of that has been.
1: You know, it actually helps clarify that because it mm-hmm. really was something I was really concerned about when I read that. I was like, okay. I mean, I I know myself and the audience would love to hear a roundtable discussion between my co-host and our guests about the impact a drug addiction has on newborn babies
3: and I, I I think that's probably one of the greatest issues With um, before we started our program there the concern in our community and I think this is nationally is that there there are we are seeing these trends of an increase in neonatal abstinence syndrome. So the babies that we have um, are being born with higher rates of neonatal abstinence syndrome. What
0: is neonatal abstinence syndrome? Can you define that for us?
3: Sure. So neonatal abstinence syndrome is essentially a um, a set of symptoms a baby exhibits um, when they're born, and it's basically what the what the word is saying. They're abstaining. They are abstaining from some um, compound. And when when we're describing a these in opioid specifically, we're discussing opioid withdrawal, but it could be anything really. So it's not just opiates and opioids. It could be benzodiazepines, which is another controlled substance. It could be cocaine. So nevertheless, it, essentially, the baby starts exhibiting some uh, a variety of withdrawal signs and symptoms when they're born, and these signs and symptoms can be very severe and anybody that's worked with the the neonatal uh, can tell you that when a baby is diagnosed with uh, NAS, neonatal abstinence syndrome, it's it's very difficult to watch uh, how the baby um, goes through this. It could be uh, a very high-pitched crying, um, a baby that won't be consolable, so it's very difficult to see. And then we can treat the baby and the treatment of neonatal abstinence syndrome is actually to initiate an opioid to prevent the withdrawals the baby is going through and that's the problem so the neonatal abstinence syndrome that may ensue needs to be treated with an opioid and we're oftentimes treating this baby for an average of seven sometimes thirty days with an opioid in a NICU setting to prevent the severe withdrawals that the baby is suffering from
1: I know you mentioned uh, uh, unconsolable and hyposcrining but I mean, what other symptoms? Because I'm thinking of a newborn is crying and sleeping it's crying. Something. I what other symptoms would you would, would be a red Are flag? Are you saying that that's normal? Well, no. Well, i <laughs> <saying>, so. <laughs>
0: you know, crying. Yeah, but that sounds like a normal baby. Exactly. So I'm saying.
1: I mean, I. So that. In, in don't I, I don't know if I if I'd be able to recognize a, yeah. a child going through uh, that, those withdrawal symptoms with you know just you know inconsolable crying. So
3: so essentially an an opioid. It does a variety of things in in a human body. One of the things uh, an opioid does in the human body is that it uh, reduces our respiratory rate. It reduces the ability for the body to release something called norepinephrine. So that is basically the ability for your heart to be faster. It changes it changes your GI motility. So a an opioid can cause constipation. So the moment you re- you remove said opioid from a body, your body starts experiencing. A withdrawal meaning it doesn't have this opioid to to cause those effects so the opposite happens so in other words the high pitch crying inconsolable diarrhea heart rates uh, the heart rate the heart's racing fast
4: failure uh, to thrive right. so the okay. baby's not responding to it even the the nurses or the caregiver are trying to help the baby console the baby and that inconsolable is the baby can't stop crying it's just their bod- bodys like writhing in pain so maybe A lot of people may not know somebody or have seen somebody going through withdrawal symptoms from an opiate, but maybe you've seen it in the movies, which is obviously in the movies. But um, imagine a newborn baby going through that pain. Yeah, How devastating
0: it is. And I can't imagine any mother would want to (laughs) witness that in their child. Do you find that you have more likely for success for a pregnant woman getting her off of, of drugs during that time, just thinking about the baby, so or is that ta- just like...
3: So we'll talk about some of the things? some of the statistics that we see currently. So the, the prior to what we initiated, the current standard of practice, like uh, Claudia mentioned, was initiating methadone, and methadone is an opioid itself. So the, the statistics tell us that for the babies that are initiated on, the moms that are initiated on methadone, close to 100% of those will deliver a baby that is diagnosed with neonatal abstinence syndrome. And then those babies now, um, the length of stay has increased. The average length of time is they would need about 30 days in a NICU to treat the neonatal abstinence syndrome that the baby has now developed?
4: So that's the standard treatment now for m- a mom being addicted to opioids in pregnancy. The standard treatment is causing these high rates of neonatal abstinence syndrome in, on, in these babies once they're born. So they're trying to get treatment, but the treatment is having these consequences on the baby. Okay,
1: so we have, uh, we, so we, mom's decided, you know, she's ready to, to you know, get clean. She's, she's really heard that, that her baby's suffering. How are moms treated then?
3: So, so our program is, is unique. Um, there, we modeled it after a program uh, based off of something called the mother study. And essentially, a, we utilize a different uh, opioid, something called buprenorphine. Um, it makes it a very unique compound because it's, uh, it's different than methadone. It, it has less effects on the opioid receptors. So there's less risk of neonatal abstinence syndrome. And actually, our program, we are now two years uh, since we started our program, we've treated over 70 moms. And the goal of our program is actually to completely detoxify the mom during the second trimester. Oh, that's
0: wonderful. And we've
3: had very high success rates, and we've had uh, approximately 92% of our moms who have given birth give birth to babies that are drug-free. And, and is a
4: success from this new compound that you're giving. The now? compound and
3: the and the method in which we use, which is
4: it's really about comprehensive care that's mm-hmm. integrated. So when you talked about, is a woman who's pregnant more likely yeah, to get clean? Yeah, she motivated. Is she more motivated? Yeah. And we try to really, from a psychological and emotional perspective, really tap into that motivation and have them connect with the idea that they're going to have a baby soon and they want that baby to be healthy. So so often, what happens when a mom is using and she she knows that she's hurting her baby in a way, mm-hmm. so uh, you can't disconnect from that, but they actually psychologically disconnect from the baby. They disconnect from the pregnancy. There's a, there's right? a, yeah, it's, it, imagine hurting a child, and it's your child, and you know that you're hurting them. You wouldn't want, you almost don't want to be aware. You'd like to be in denial that that's going on, and that's what happens. So our work is really building that person up and getting them ready in in the, the sphere of recovery, but preparing them for motherhood. Mm. So
1: before they get, th- they get to the point where they're detaching um what advice would you give a pregnant woman who frequently uses uh, opiates or over-the-counter or prescription drugs um before they get to that point what advice or
0: like how would they know they're even addicted to seek help through the program you know
3: i mean i i think the the answer to that would be multifactorial obviously every patient's unique every patient we've encountered has a different story Um, i would say that for the most part Um, most of these moms very well know that they are using a substance that they probably shouldn't be using and that is causing harm to the baby
0: Will they admit that to a healthcare worker? Yes. Like, if you're yes. screening them, are they forthcoming? Will they say screening
4: is a major part of what we want to look at? Is overall we have this problem. So going back to the opioid prescribing practices, over we know that we were prescribing opiates way way more than we needed to, and that these pregnant women were getting this medication and that they were c- being continued on it. Babies, we had high high rates from 2001 to the present of babies born with neonatal abstinence syndrome. So we started to look at okay, let's treat neonatal abstinence syndrome. Like Alberto said, what are the best treatments, how do we optimize it, but w- without backtracking and saying, let's treat the mom while she's pregnant, let's screen her when she comes in for that prenatal visit, and let's talk to her about getting care. And there is help out there. There's, um, you know, we know, I think as a nation, we're becoming aware of this impact on the baby, so we wanna get treatment, talk to somebody, be open about it. You might know because you, when you stop taking it, you start to feel symptoms of withdrawal. But for a lot of people, if a doctor's is prescri- something they don't think that it you know I shouldn't be addicted the doctors prescribing it to me right mm.
3: and I, I would I would add to that I would say that, that many times not only they may be aware of it but I think that the greatest challenge is having access to a program like ours yeah. having access to a program that actually help you a lot of these moms actually go to the emergency department and say I want help and many times the answer has been we don't have the help you may be looking for Which is unfortunate so we hope that programs like ours can be established in different parts of the country
0: how can we refer um mothers to your program is it through a physician is it through the community like if you you know are in the community you identify someone that you know is addicted
4: can they send them to your program they could definitely send them to us um we have information on the memorial website you can also call our number it's a nine five four two seven six three four two nine we have a licensed clinical social worker that will reach out to the moms work with a provider If there's a physician that's referring a patient to help link them with care and as soon as they need it and they want it and they're ready to come in we're ready to receive them
3: and we have received um uh, emails and and they're having other people reaching out to us from other parts of the country so if if that is the case as well i'm sure there may be some um potential for development in other parts of the country as well.
4: That's wonderful. Thank you for the amazing oh, work you, you guys so are doing. This this is, is,
0: it's, it's, it was a
3: pleasure.
4: It is our pleasure, believe us. It, it's very rewarding to see a mom give birth to a baby that's healthy and that look of love that she's showing that child, is it's priceless. So
0: Claudia, what's one final message you'd like to leave with our listeners?
4: Um, if you're using uh, drugs and you're pregnant and you're afraid, reach out to someone, ask for help, because help is out there. If you have a loved one that you trust, um, they can help you get treatment. If you have a physician that you're seeing, talk to that doctor. The goal for any provider, uh, whether it's a medical provider or a substance abuse or mental health provider, working with a pregnant woman, is to help her get the treatment she needs so she can deliver a healthy baby. That is what we want to do for you. If you're pregnant, talk to someone and get the help you need. Are there any barriers or in their fear factors that they may have. Definitely, I think if, if um, someone who's pregnant and using drugs, I, I'm sure that they're thinking that their baby is going to be taken away from them if they admit that they are using drugs. However, it is exactly the opposite. If you are pregnant and are in treatment and you're seeking treatment, you're going to have a higher likelihood of keeping your child. If people who have issues is after they give birth and if they've been using their entire pregnancy and not sought help. So if you're pregnant, um, the state of Florida is not not going to take your child away because you're using drugs while you're pregnant and you're seeking treatment.
3: And I would add to that, I would say that if you don't actually seek help, the once the baby is born, they test the meconium, which is the first stool, and that will that will have all the substances that were were used during pregnancy. So they would know if you weren't seeking help, um, it would be obvious to. And additionally, I would like to add that there is a SAMHSA national helpline. Um, SAMHSA specializes in substance abuse treatment um, and information available for those patients who seek it. It's 1-800-662-HELP. That's 1-800-662-4357. And additionally, if, for those that are interested, if maybe there's an opportunity in your community to seek treatment with buprenorphine or different methods that we've discussed in our program down here. It's, it's not available everywhere yet. Um, but it's worth a try to ask your OBGYN or somebody who may know in the community. It's
1: very important. Alberto, Claudia, you guys have armed our audience with a lot of spectacular and important information. But final question, how would one encourage or assist a mother who's obviously in need
4: to seek services? number one is be non-judgmental um, allow the person to talk about what they're going through without judging them and le- developing um, an environment of trust and that you're there to help um, I think many women who are in this situation um, just are completely overwhelmed by it and they're just trying to go from one moment to the next without real like without being able to do anything about it so finding um, somebody who is not judging them and is helping is looking to help them is the most um, the crucial first step I think wouldn't you agree with
3: that 100% I think non-judgmental approach initially is great and the, and also adding to that that there is help available there is help available you don't have to do it alone um, there are programs that will help you get through this it's not easy um, but it's it's doable
4: we'd love
0: to have you back and hear more about your success Absolutely. stories I know you're reaching so many lives and families thank you for all you
4: do thank, thank you thank guys we'd love us. to be back
1: Thank you for joining us on Healthy Parenting. Please subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, tell others about it, and visit Joe DiMaggio's Facebook page. Important topic, very
4: important topic. Very important.